Brothers and sisters, the text for this morning's sermon is Hebrews 12, the verses 1 to 3. And in connection with that, we'll also read some passages from Hebrews 10 and 11. While the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 is worth reading, it's a bit lengthy, so perhaps you can do that over your lunchtime devotions. So Hebrews 10, first of all, from verses 32 up until chapter 11, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that yourselves, you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance." So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Then the author goes on to show how those men of old did live by faith. And we'll turn ahead to verse 32, where the author comes to his conclusion. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So, brothers and sisters, the text for this sermon is Hebrews 12, the verses 1 to 3. This passage, you may, you may wonder why I include verse 3, um, because the ESV has a section break in between verse 2 and 3. Uh, the section breaks aren't in the original Greek, and that's one reason. The other reason is this passage was assigned to me in sermon sessions, so I didn't really have a choice either way. Um, but I will read the passage once more with you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, this year a new television show was released called The World's Toughest Race. And in this show, 66 teams are competing in Fiji on an 11-day expedition as they, cro- as they race across the island nation. And this race is said to be the ultimate test in endurance. It tests your physical and your emotional limits. And because it's so intense, most of the teams that are participating, they aren't even focused upon winning the race. They are more concerned on proving that they can cross the finish line. They want to prove that they can do what some say is impossible. And so for them, the prize isn't where they place in the race, but simply proving that they are able to complete it. And in Hebrews 12, the Christian life is described as a race, a race in which all of us are participating. And like the television series, this is no ordinary race. It's not a short-lived sprint, but a marathon. We aren't racing for a spot on the podium but striving to cross the finish line. And so this race, it's a test of our endurance, which began at our conversion, and it will only end when we enter eternal life. Now here in Hebrews, we are taught that we are to have the focus and determination of an athlete. We are to keep concentrating on the race and brush aside those things that might distract us or slow us down. We are to cast off everything that would hinder us so that we might finish our race. And so I proclaim to you the word of the Lord under the following theme and points. Look up to Christ, the founder and perfecter of the faith. And we'll consider the course of the race, the strategy for the race, and the source of our endurance. First then, the course of the race. 
Now, prior to the command to run, the author of this epistle, he described in detail what is called what are called the heroes of faith. He has spoken at length about the Old Testament saints who were faced with various trials and temptations. But despite these trials and temptations, he shows how they overcame those challenges by clinging to the promises of God. These are the men and women who walked by faith and not by sight, who were certain of the things that they hoped for and convicted of what they could not see. In Hebrews 12, these heroes are said to surround us as a great cloud of witnesses. In chapter 11, it was all about the faith of these witnesses. Each of these heroes expressed their faith in God, and they are witnesses to us. They give us testimony about the validity, the usefulness, the blessing that results when we live by faith. They serve as witnesses of the Lord's faithfulness. And thus the race set before us, the course that we are to run, is one of faith. The author, he challenges us to run in faith just as these men and women did. And it's important to note that the word translated race can also be translated as struggle or fight. Like many of the heroes of faith, the recipients of this letter, they were faced with intense persecution for their faith. And we know that Satan wants nothing more than to see those who believe in him, to believe in the Lord, to turn away from him and abandon the faith. And this was a truth in the Old Testament times, and it's true for us today as well. Our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and the flesh, they are constantly tempting us, seeking to lure us away from the Lord, to put our trust in other things. And in the face of these trials, it's tempting to become lukewarm people-pleasers or not speak of our faith to abandon our faith altogether. Because by nature, we seek comfort rather than suffering. We don't look for persecution. And yet, as one brother said, the reality is that a faith which offends nobody and costs nothing is also worth nothing. If your religion is is more than your Sunday clothing, then you will soon find that you must endure hard things, even as the cloud of witnesses did and as Christ did. And Men like Gideon and David and women like Rahab, they witnessed firsthand that the Lord is faithful through trial, and he will surely deliver his people from their trials. These men and women, they were tried in similar ways to the first readers of this letter, and yet they were able to endure. They crossed that finish line. And so the way that they ran Their endurance, it serves as an example and an encouragement for us to also continue running. They spur us on to run with vigor and confidence. Yet we also know that these people were sinners. 
David, he committed horrible sins and was rebuked by God. And Gideon acted selfishly towards the end of his own life. And yet, brothers and sisters, they serve as examples to us in so far as they lived by faith. They relied not on their own worthiness, but on God's grace and His love. Throughout chapter 11, it is their reliance and trust in the Lord which is set before us as an example. They trusted and believed in God. They obeyed Him even when From a human perspective, it seemed that they had no hope. Think of David hiding in caves from Saul. Think of Gideon, how he obeyed God and led a small group of soldiers to conquer Israel's enemies. Or how Rahab risked everything to give shelter to a few Israelite spies. These saints... They did not only persevere under trial, but they considered their earthly blessings, the privileges that they had, as a loss compared to what is found in Christ. We read of that in Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger for the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So these witnesses, they cast off their earthly fears and trusted in the Lord. They witnessed that His grace was greater than their trials. They were willing to be partakers of Christ's suffering, to face persecution and shame as He did. And it was the Spirit of God within them that drove them to cling to their faith. And the Spirit, He now uses these men and women as an example for us and commands us to do the same. To live by faith. The same spirit that they had within them is now at work within us. And he drives us to run the race of faith even as these men and women did. And that's the great conclusion that chapter 11 has built up to. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which entangles And let us look to Christ. So let us look to Him, even as they did. And what Christians are commanded to do in this passage is no easy task. Yet our gracious Lord has also shown us in His Word how we are to prepare for and run this race. And so that brings us to the second point for this morning's sermon, the strategy for our race. The author of the letter to the Hebrews goes on to use the image of Olympic athletes. In the ancient world, these athletes would lay aside all their clothing and anything that would weigh them down or catch the wind, anything that impaired their abilities to run, they would cast it off. 
And now the author calls us to do the same. In order to maximize our endurance, we are told to put off everything that might lead us astray or weigh us down. Throughout Hebrews, a major theme has been apostasy. Turning away from the faith and being disqualified from the race. And with the middle phrase of verse 1, the author warns us to do all that we can to ensure we do indeed complete the race. This requires us to not only avoid those things which are inherently sinful, sinful by their very nature, There are many things in life that are valuable and good when properly used, but they become distractions or added weights if we aren't careful. There's a danger of prizing earthly things, earthly blessings, to the point that they squeeze matters of faith out from our lives. And so things like Bible study or communion of saints, they easily become replaced by our own hobbies or work. In the show, I mentioned the world's toughest race. In one of the earliest episodes, a team that was favorited to win went all out while crossing the finish line. Sorry, while crossing the ocean from one island to another. It seemed like they were pulling ahead and building a sizable lead. But then a team member suffered heat stroke because they had worked too hard in the hot sun. Now, was it wrong for them to work extra hard in the beginning? No, but it certainly proved to be foolish. Their lack of planning and foresight resulted in taking on extra weight as they now had the burden of a struggling teammate. And very quickly, they dropped from first to last place. So, brothers and sisters, what is slowing down your pace? What things in your life threaten to cause spiritual heat stroke? Perhaps it's computer games or family, even children, reading, painting, sports. Most of us are not able to gather together for every worship service. And a sad side effect of this is that in many churches, the number of those tuning in to live streams or trying to attend church has dropped dramatically. And brothers and sisters, if this isn't sinful, it is certainly foolish. Because it's by the preaching of the word that we are equipped to run the race. So are there things that have taken over your love for worship? Things which have become more of a priority than listening to the proclamation of God's holy word? And these distractions, these extra weights that hinder our Christian faith must be cast aside so that we can truly run with endurance, so that we will reach that finish line. And so having address those things which weigh us down and hinder us on our race, the author adds that we should also cast off every sin which clings so closely to us or entangles us. Now, brothers and sisters, it used to be common to speak of besetting or habitual sins, sins which an individual especially struggled with. 
And in this race which we're running, every runner has a particular sin or sins which threaten to trip him or her up and steer them off course. And how often isn't it our own flesh that trips us up? A second glance or a second murmuring thought And perhaps when we read the law this morning, you zeroed in on one thing you struggled with this past week. Perhaps it was lust or gossip or anger or covetousness. Perhaps today or a previous Sunday, you reflected on how difficult it is to break the pattern of falling into that particular sin. You repent of them and yet they always seem to be tempting you. They always seem to be right in front of your eyes. And the warning in our text is that these sins, if they aren't dealt with, they become the lactic acid that prevents us from running. And indeed, every sin, not just the habitual ones, present a threat to our race. And so every sin must be set aside by us. As I mentioned earlier, the word race in our text can also be translated as struggle or fight. This isn't an easy contest. It's not easy to set aside our sins. While Christians aren't competing against one another, we are competing against our own flesh. We're striving against our own sinful nature and sinful flesh. One brother wrote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And this echoes the words of Christ himself when he said that it would, if you have a sin which you're struggling with, it's better to chop off your hand or gouge out your eye if you fall into that sin. And while he was speaking hyperbolically there, the message is clear. If sin takes hold of a body part, if we give in to the desires of our flesh, and we end up not finishing the race, it would be better for us not to have that body part altogether. And therefore, we're called to do whatever we can to prevent sin from gaining a foothold in our life. So sin, it's clearly not something that we can tolerate, and it's not something that we should be fatalistic about either. Don't give in to the temptation that you'll never be rid of that sin or that you'll never be free from the grasp of Satan. Brothers and sisters, there is a way to cast off sin and every extra weight which slows us down. We're meant to take our sins and confess them before our gracious God, to lay them at the foot of the cross. It's our Lord who He sees our sins, and He sees our struggle against sin. Our God, he, His grace, it's greater than our sins. So brothers and sisters, what struggles do you need to take before God's throne of grace? What habitual sins do you need to plead with God to set you free from? What is distracting you from your walk with Christ. 
lay aside those burdens. Pray for the Spirit to work within you to continue His work of regeneration. That He would grant you the endurance you need to run this race. And the way that we run with endurance is to look to Christ and what He has accomplished. For as long as we are running our earthly race, it is Christ that receives our focus. He is the one that we look to as we run, because He is the founder or the author of our faith. He is the one who has gone before us and given given us the perfect example of how to run. And moreover, He is the one who planted faith within our hearts. He's the one who enables us to run and compete in the first place. And he's the perfecter of faith, the fulfillment of faith itself, so that we, with the great cloud of witnesses, would be made perfect in him. And thus, he's not only the founder or author, the one who tells us how we are to run, but also the perfecter, the one who ran the perfect race for our sake. And in all his earthly life, Christ looked ahead to the joy that was set before him. He knew that by his sufferings, he would satisfy the wrath of God against our sins. He was willing to carry the sins on his own shoulders that we are called to cast off. And he knew that his shame would make peace between God and us. And he sealed the covenant of grace. And he's now the mediator of that covenant. And because of his suffering, he has opened up the way to eternal life. So that even the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, may receive salvation. And this, brothers and sisters, was the joy that Christ looked ahead to. To see sinners come to repentance, knowing that none of whom the Father had given him would be lost. And this joy enabled him to continue running and despise the shame. He considered the shame a light and easy thing to bear in comparison to the reward and joy ahead of him. And just think of the shame and hostility that he bore. Jesus was a human like us, and he chose, or he became a human like us, and he chose affliction and humiliation for our sake. Paul writes of how the Son of God emptied himself of his glory and took on human flesh, the flesh of a slave. And yet that wasn't humiliating enough. If anyone has experienced the world's hostility, it is Christ. From the time of his birth, King Herod sought to kill him. And after Herod came the temptations in the wilderness. Then came his own family thinking he was insane. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, accusing him of blasphemy. And then not only was he mocked by those who should have been worshipping at his feet, but he was crucified. He was cursed by God. And Satan, he placed his entire effort 
into getting Christ to come down from that cross so that he would have run in vain. And yet he endured it. He allowed himself to be, bear the greatest of all shames, to be considered cursed by his own father. And yet even then he showed faith when he cried out and called God his God. Christ, he endured greater shame and hostility than we or the Hebrews will ever have to face. He endured more of this world's arrows than any of those heroes of faith. And he did so, brothers and sisters, for your sake, despite the hostility that he endured. He not only finished the race, he won it. He lived the perfect life of faith. He ran and won the perfect race. The joy that was set before him is now his. He faced the shame on his own so that we would not have to. Instead, we can look to him as he sits at the right hand of the Father as our mediator. And when we plead with God to forgive us of our sins, he intercedes on our behalf. He points to the shame that he endured for us. And so, brothers and sisters, when you are overwhelmed by your sins, when you think that you can't run any further, when you are tempted to give up, look to Christ. That is the strategy for this race. Bring your sins before God in prayer and know that the author and perfecter of faith will indeed forgive you. He will wash you clean with his blood and he will give you what you need to continue your race. And with that in mind, we'll now briefly consider the source of our endurance. Now, even if you haven't done much running in your life, you probably know that the training and discipline that goes into preparing for a marathon is incredibly intense. It requires dedication and focus. And long-distance runners, they'll reach a certain point where they hit the wall. They become mentally and physically fatigued to the point they feel like giving up. And many runners have spoken of the importance of positive thinking and encouraging coaches as key factors in overcoming obstacles and crossing the finish line. And if there haven't already there will almost certainly be times in our own lives when we feel we need to stop, where the trials of this life are too much for us to endure. And for the Hebrews, they faced persecution from non-Christians and even from those who had left their company. And the temptation to abandon the faith, it was so intense that many were now tempted to stop running. And that's why this letter is filled with repeated warnings not to fall away. Because there was a very real risk of growing weary and faint-hearted. A real risk of quitting the race. And so this serves as a warning for Christians today as well. Because the devil, he would have stopped persecuting Christians long ago if it wasn't effective. But what better source of endurance do we have than Christ? 
Christ has shown his great love for us. And he has proven to us that he will never leave or forsake us. If Satan or the world or our own flesh take aim at us, if we are attacked by temptation, Christ is our refuge. Because he has won the race and he enables us to continue running, to despise the shame and hostility that we are faced with. And our Lord knows that apart from him, this is a race that we would never finish. And so we witness his love and grace and how he has given us his spirit. The spirit who points us to Christ and urges us to go onward. He is the one who revives us when we are weary and strengthens us when we are faint. We know that the Lord helps those who wait for him and that their strength will be regained, that they will mount up with eagles eagles' wings and run unwearied. Brothers and sisters, Christ's Spirit enables us to cast off sin and every weight. He ensures that we do not run in vain. He fills us with endurance and energy so that we continue on in this race. And we know that our Lord is faithful, and the work which he has begun in you, he will bring to completion. Christ won the toughest of all the world's races. And he won it for us. So look to him. In him you have the victory. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The race that you run, Christ has won. Amen.